Welcome back to the Pactum Factum podcast, the superpower of everyday negotiation. I'm Lucia Cantor, St. Amour. Negotiation is everywhere, every day. This is the negotiation laboratory where we share insights into basic skills, strategy, history, storytelling, behavioral sciences, and social trends. It's all connected. We are all connected. And everyone can learn how to better negotiate everyday life with keen eyes, hearts, and minds. Thanks for joining us. Lily Din is a senior at the Ruth Asawa School of the Arts in San Francisco. Lily has been a dancer since age three and was accepted to the School of the Arts as a freshman in their classical dance department. This year, Lily completed a project that she calls Danceable, and it's the reason I invited her as a guest on this show, which is about the superpower of everyday negotiation. Hmm. What's the connection? Well, listen up, because Lily is a shining example of the thesis of this podcast, which is that negotiation is everywhere, every day, and all of you can flex your everyday negotiation superpowers. Lily, I'm going to start with a compound question, which is a big no-no for lawyers. It's sort of a golden rule in litigation to not ask the compound question. But this is my podcast where I get to make the rules and also break them. So here it is. What is Danceable and why did you start it? So Danceable is an accessible dance program for students with disabilities. Um, I honestly started it because I had grown up dancing and I started at the YMCA um, and then I took classes at different like more mainstream studios um, and I hadn't seen classes that were accessible for any type of student Um, and I ended up taking some sort of like dance fitness class and I saw a student with disabilities who really just kind of broke out um, during that class because they had the kind of room and space that was encouraging um, and they just really got to like come alive which I also knew them outside of the classroom and they were more like shy and reserved and so I kind of saw firsthand how that was that dance studio provided a space um, for any type of student and I really wanted to create that space where more students had that opportunity. So it sounds like that was kind of an aha moment for you when you saw this individual who you know, you already knew, and then this whole other dimension of their personality came out and they were able to express it through dance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is really cool. Now, the performance I attended was about 15 minutes in length and included two pieces. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, we um, trained for eight weeks. Um, There were five students and we kind of discussed what we wanted our pieces to be about. It didn't matter what the length was or how many pieces we had, um, but we really wanted to cover something that was more fun. So we went with ocean waves and how 
Ocean waves are kind of like unpredictable and you could do anything to interpret the sound and the movement. Um, so I think that was super helpful kind of to start out with. Uh, we use like different arm movements um, and just kind of, it kind of got it students, I think, more grounded in um, the introduction to movement. And that was what our first piece was about. Then our second piece, we had gotten a lot closer by the end of those eight weeks. And I think like our relationships just grew much stronger. Um, so our second piece was about friendship and like how we kind of navigated our relationships. Um, and our piece, our second piece wanted to reflect that. So yeah, that was more like we were smiling and it was happy. We um, danced to a Bruno Mars song mm -hmm. and so it was really upbeat. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I those ended up being our two pieces and I think they both were like good representations of what dance can do. Um you can have something like super abstract um and then something where it's about your peers. And yeah, so I think they turned out great and um the length they're actually pretty long for dance pieces mm -hmm. and the choreography it wasn't it was set, but the timing could change every time we did it, which was something super cool. Um, and I think it's also something super cool about dance because it ha doesn't have to ever be set. It could just keep changing all the time. Right. Not every performance is the same. And yeah. you remained flexible and adaptable about that. And what I noticed from my non-dancer observation in the audience was that you you were using a lot of large muscle groups, large muscle movements, so that it was realistic. The curriculum was realistic. So they could feel that sense of, yes, I'm dancing and we're achieving this all together. Yeah, I think I definitely wanted to, by the end of the program, like build confidence in all of the students. Um, and I think definitely in those pieces, you could see that reflected, the audience could see that. And just by knowing them, like, all the, the student helpers that I had um, that were co-teaching with me, like we got to see each student grow. Right. And we're going to talk about those student helpers in just a second. And it's actually a pretty good segue to, uh, I, I need to ask you, Lily, if you're connecting the dots yet on why I asked you to be a guest on the Superpower of Everyday Negotiation podcast because of your project. Have you figured it out? I think because there's so much... I mean, negotiation, so much um, kind of outreach that I had to do in the community to get this program started. Um, what It was like on my in my school, um, on campus, and then also out in the San Francisco community. Right. That's part of it. So, and I think that a lot of people do see that aspect of negotiation, which is the interacting with other people, talking to other people, convincing someone to help you with something that you're trying to accomplish, right? But you did so much more, actually, because some of the things we've talked about already in this podcast is planning, right? You had to make a plan. You had to set goals. What, what were your goals? Honestly, I really wanted to meet the students first and see what they wanted to do. That was something that was super important to me because I could have created um, – an entire structure and curriculum that was based on what I thought people wanted. Um, but I really wanted the students to decide like, 
hey, maybe this works for them. Maybe this combination um, needs to change a little bit for whatever their needs are or what they just want to do in this program and get out of it. Um, so I started by like just I was trying to look for a mentor that would help me um, conduct outreach. So I talked to um, some of our counselors at School of the Arts and they emailed like counselors throughout the district um, that got the word out to different high schoolers. And then I also wanted it to go out to the special education department, specifically in SFUSD. Um, and then also I was working with Anna Bukareva from Her Idea and I applied for a grant because I knew this program needed funding. I didn't know if I could get studio space at School of the Arts on campus. Um, and studio space is definitely expensive, so I needed help paying for that if it had to be off-site. Um, also figuring out, because I go to Lions Ballet during the day, um, but it's not accessible for anyone with disabilities or any sort of physical disability. Um, and I think my original idea was to kind of target students with physical disabilities because it was something that I thought I was more equipped for. Um, I was like, you know, maybe like they could use chairs for support. I was trying to think of like just what their needs were. And then when um, students with like all over the neurodiverse spectrum started to uh, just be more engaged in the program, I was like, hey, you know, like this is kind of what the program was about to adapt to different students. And I just wanted anyone who wanted the opportunity to be welcome and um, take dance classes with me. And so instead of using like chairs for support, maybe these students needed verbal cues and more repetition of phrases to um, really work with the choreography. And so that was also something where it wasn't planned and I just kind of had to think on the spot like hey how can I change this um well but that's part of negotiation is remaining yeah. agile so that's really what I'm hearing you saying is that you first of all you didn't just plan and set goals in the abstract the best negotiation goals are those that are high specific and justifiable. And that's exactly what you did. You said, well, I couldn't really set my goals until I sort of met the group and met the audience. And then I could do that. And then you said something in a, several different ways, just in the past couple of minutes, where essentially you were saying, I remained agile. I adapted along the way, which is incredibly important in negotiation. Yes, you have your plan, you have your goals. And then once you're in the thick of it, that you need to pay attention to what's going on so you can adapt and be flexible. And you also just talked a lot about gathering information, considering needs and interests. You had to talk to people, build rapport, which is something my listeners hear me talk about ad nauseum because rapport never goes out of style. You need it for negotiation. You had to recruit and consider your audience. You had to communicate with participants and parents, right? That was a, that's a third party audience, isn't it? The parents, all right? We talk about that in planning. What, what third parties do you need to think about? You had to listen to others. That was episodes seven and eight of this podcast, and possibly the most important skill in negotiation. You had to raise money and make a budget. 
prepare the curriculum, negotiate for volunteers. Sounds like you had to negotiate for performance space and technical assistance. The performance I saw was on a Saturday. Well, how'd you get those people to help you out? Well, that was negotiation, wasn't it? And also, Lily, you negotiated the status quo. You were changing the paradigm to be more inclusive and provide a non-traditional gateway to dance for physical and neuro diversity. And one more important thing you did, which I talked about in episode three called Little Old Ladies, was, Lily, you did not underestimate anyone or make assumptions. You didn't assume that people with disabilities who have difficulty coordinating their bodies, whose bodies aren't the perfect dancer shapes, just aren't dancers. You also didn't try to fit them into a format that was inaccessible to them. You chose themes of nature, the ocean waves you talked about, and friendship, which is social, the social bonding, and choreographed moves that involved the large muscle group so that you and they could realize success. You also, in a way, you used something we call negotiation called BATNA. That stands for the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. In other words, if I can't get a deal, what are my other options? I, I guess what I'm thinking is, tell me if this is a stretch, but I, I don't think it is. You weren't stuck on the idea of an ideal outcome and you didn't say, well, if I can't get 20 participants in the main stage, forget it. It's not worth it. You started small. You got five participants and it was worth it. It did matter. Yeah, I I think my goal was like, hey, maybe 20 students would be interested. But even if one student wanted to take my class, I would give them all the resources that I had to make it a success for them and make sure that they had a place that they really wanted to go to and like expand their artistry. Um, Just the performance aspect was super important to me because I know it's really hard to just have the opportunity to perform because then you have to be a part of a company or a part of a group or a program for um, amount of time that when I started doing research on like similar programming there really wasn't any um in san francisco california and just the united states and so i'm like okay these students like no one has had this opportunity um so even if it's just one person who maybe wants to take the class um again like next year or talks to their friends about it um just gets the word out like that was completely fine with me because that was my goal essentially I know I'm just a senior. I was still like, I'm still a student where I'm still figuring this out and like how to teach and what works best for other students. Um, So I think that was also something I had to figure out along the way. Um, I grew a ton from the experience. Like I was even more shy and reserved towards the beginning um, when I was first pitching my program to the community. And at the end, I was more confident in myself and more confident talking about the program, which was something that I had in mind for the students to um, 
kind of learn, but I didn't realize that I myself would also like benefit exactly. um, a ton from this. Right. That's what the beauty is of mentorship and of teaching and in improving your negotiation skills too, which is that you become the learner. You just get better. And what you're saying, Lily, is that just like dance, negotiation is like exercising a muscle. And everything you just described is exercising the negotiation muscle. And you did exercise it and you did hone it. And it is stronger now, even if along the way you didn't think about it as a negotiation exercise or a negotiation project. It was a dance project. So what's next for you, Lily? You know, I'm going off to college next year. Um, and I plan on studying chemistry, so completely different than what I'm currently studying at SODA, but I'm always going to keep dance as a part of my life, and it's something that has helped me throughout my, just my school career. I've learned so much, like, I don't know, just how to work in a group in the arts has helped me collaborate with students in the classroom and it's something that it's a balance that I think every student needs even if it's not dance specifically um if your outlet is orchestra or like playing an instrument or something like you can learn so much from the arts and use that in your everyday life so I think that was something that I wanted to give students also just an outlet, something um, that they could go to in the future. And it, it just opens it up to the broader community. I don't know, it could just open up so many pathways for them that students now don't realize. Right. So just do it. Just try, yeah. just try it. Just yeah. try it. You never know what might happen. It's, it's that fearlessness and that sense of experimentation. And you also, you, you used the word balance and which is of course important in dance. Yeah. It is also incredibly important in, in negotiation, being in the negotiation, listening to other people, maintaining that balance and, and flexibility. So Lily, as you move into the next stage of your life, know that you are a dancer, a chemist, a thought leader, a paradigm shifter, and a very competent negotiator. What do you think about that? I didn't, I've never thought of myself as necessarily a negotiator. And so I think that's something super important that you have also made me realize um, along this process. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited for what happens in the future with this. I'm excited for you. Lily, you keep doing you because you do it so well. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening, or even partially listening while you multitask. You never know what might stick with you. Keep your ear out for this space because we sure do appreciate your company. I'm Lucia Cantor St. Amour of Pactum Factum, which is Latin for a done deal. You can find me here on Substack and on pactumpactum.com.